We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am your social worker with a microphone. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning on Voice America Women's Network. And we're also on the Health and Wellness Network, too. And you can get, go to my website at CatherineZox.com. CatherineZox.com. Click on and you'll be connected to the Voice America Women's Network. We've got a great show coming up today. We've got a lot to talk about in this hour. Jen Bucco, who is uh, one of the co-authors of the Healthy Carb Diabetes Cookbook, is on this morning. I think we have her on the line as, as I speak. Uh, second guest, Jim Thompson, founder and executive director of the Positive Coaching Alliance. And then last is Steve Busalachi, if I'm pronouncing his name right, he'll tell me if I'm not, author of a new book called White Coat Wisdom, all about doctors. So, good show this morning. Uh, I want to welcome Jen. How are you this morning, Jen Bucco? Is it Bucco or Bucco? It's Bucco. Bucco, okay. <laughs> are you speaking up because you are in the background? I can't hear you that well. Oh, really? Yeah, now I can. Okay, maybe it's something with my phone. (laughs) All right, cool. So you are the co-author of the Healthy Carb Diabetes Cookbook, and you are a chef. It's really Chef Jennifer Bucko. Where are you a chef? Um, I actually work for uh, Robert Morris College in Chicago, which is a culinary school. Great, fantastic. I have a son who's out in Chicago. I'm going to be out there next week. So oh, maybe, great. Yeah, you can make something for me. <laughs> Perfect time of year. It's beautiful in Chicago right now. Yeah, I know. It's gorgeous. I was just flying over Chicago uh, actually earlier this week. But anyway, let's talk about the book because Create a Healthy Carb Lifestyle. Now, this book is what, put out or endorsed by the American Diabetes uh, Society? The American Diabetes Association. Association. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's published and endorsed by them. Terrific. Okay. But it does, you don't have to have diabetes to use this cookbook because oh, you have no. one. No. Wonderful yeah. recipes. And uh, just a little bit of a, you know, apparently, uh, and I think this is very true, millions of Americans have become low-carb diet devotees, as they're mm-hmm. called, because they want a better body, a healthier body. But we're, sometimes we're a little bit confused, Jen, about low carbs, no carbs. Uh, apparently, we need, obviously, we need carbs, but there are good carbs and there are bad carbs. Basically, that's right, yes. Especially people with diabetes, they really need carbs to help balance their blood sugar, and we all need carbs for energy. So, um, you know, people do the low-carb or no-carb, but it's, you know, I always tell people it's okay to have carbs, you just want to have the right types. And so the book focuses on high-fiber foods, whole grains, um, naturally good carbs, like good carbs you find in fruits and vegetables. Um, And there are a couple low- or no-carb recipes in there, but they're basically all focused on these good carbs, which is basically the high-fiber foods. Yeah, glad you clarified that, you know, because I'm always confused. I mean, there are so many cookbooks out there, and they say don't eat any carbs, mm-hmm. uh, and you go to a restaurant, and they've got, even now they list them, there's no carbs in this meal. Yeah, so, but we have to, what is a carb? A carbohydrate is basically, it's just it's just a type of food that metabolizes in your system into sugar, and so for someone who has diabetes, the problem is regulating that blood sugar. And so a good carbohydrate or one that has a high, a lot of fiber is going to take longer to metabolize. 
thus not turning into sugar quite as quickly, so you won't have those spikes in your blood sugar. Even people who don't have diabetes witness this. If you eat a lot of, you know, really pure sugar things, you get that sort of high and then you crash. Yeah. Um, with people with diabetes, it's even more severe than that because their blood sugar regulation um, is so vital for their health because it can affect their organs, it can affect their eyesight, all sorts of things. And so we want to prolong that metabolizing into sugar as much as possible, and that's where the fiber comes in. And there are two kinds of diabetes, uh, right. Jen. Mm-hmm. There's the kind that you uh, inherit, I guess, that you're born with, has a genetic component to a type 1 diabetes. That's and then right. there's type 2 diabetes, mm-hmm. which seems to be on the rise because we have so many obese people, and that seems to be that's one of the things that happens when you gain too much weight. You that's tend correct. to okay, you get mm-hmm. pre-diabetic or diabetic. Um, so this healthy carb diabetes cookbook would be for both people as well as people who are healthy. Absolutely. Um, also, Jen, when, for the aging population, because their systems are more vulnerable for baby boomers and stuff, wouldn't this be a good thing to make sure that you're eating healthy carbs? Definitely. And, you know, it's important for everybody. I mean, I think we're seeing, too, with children, there's more children getting type 2 diabetes, which is normally called adult-onset diabetes, but it's it's happening in children even more because there's such a rise in childhood obesity that they're saying this, this group of children right now are going to be the first generation to not outlive their parents. And it's vital that, the, you know, we're, we're monitoring what these children are, are putting in their bodies. Same with the baby boomers, the people who are aging, and it's really, it's, it's truly for everybody. Um, in 2005, the USDA uh, republished the Food Guide Pyramid, which, you know, talks about how many types of, you know, starches you should have each day, proteins, and they said your starches, 50% of them should come from whole grain or high-fiber foods. So. The healthy, well, the, Jennifer, the Healthy Carb Diabetes Cookbook is not a diet book. It's not no. A, yeah, we want to emphasize that. It's not a diet book. So don't even go there with the diet. It's really a, the way to eat healthy. Is right. You, yeah, it's a healthy lifestyle, and that's what we're concerned about. And <clears throat> full, full of different recipes, uh, pastas and sandwiches and all kinds of good stuff. Because mm-hmm. I always think, oh, I shouldn't have pasta and I shouldn't have a sandwich. But that's <laughs> not true, is that's it? That's not true. You just want to use the good kinds of breads and pastas. Since that Food Guide Pyramid, the new one came out in 2005, all of these companies now are producing whole grain versions of their foods. So in your regular grocery store, you can find really great tasting whole grain pasta, whole grain breads. And, you know, let me let me give a little caveat here, make sure that you're reading your food labels because just because bread is brown doesn't necessarily mean it's whole wheat. It can say wheat bread, but all flour is from wheat. So you want to make sure you're reading your nutrition label and looking at the ingredients, and the first ingredient should say whole wheat flour, not enriched wheat or bleached wheat flour. It should say whole wheat flour, then you know you're getting a whole grain product. It needs to say that in in the food label. And Jennifer, what else should it say in the food label or should it not say in the food label? Because I've got it, I mean, I was looking for whole grain um, bread. And yes, even if it says whole grain, there, there's a paragraph of the stuff that's in there. And some right. of it seems to me it's not good. It has chemicals and it has sweetener right. and it has all this stuff. So I would assume, and I'm asking you, you're the expert, don't you, you just get pure whole wheat bread? You do, and you know, so a lot of those things that are in the food label, it's the nutrition or the um, ingredient list, there are preservatives and those types of things, and some of them are okay, and some of them are, are a little concerning. You want to, One of the things that you really want to look for is the fiber content, too. When you're looking at that nutrition label, there's a, uh, it'll say total calories, total fat, and then it'll break down the different types of fat, 
and it'll say total carbohydrates and then break down the different types of carbohydrates. And I think people with diabetes make the mistake of just looking at the amount of sugar that's in it because it'll say total carbohydrates. It'll say under that, it'll say fiber, sugars, and people with diabetes just look at the sugar content. They need to be looking at the total carbohydrate count and then look at the, that, that list of fiber. And you want to opt for things that are at least two grams of fiber per serving or higher because anything lower than that is basically just like you might as well be eating a candy bar. It's basically the same thing. <laughs> Head to the candy section and get your Malamars or whatever they are. Exactly. Yeah, but no, don't do that. That's not what we want you to do. We no, don't want to no. do that. But you know, you're I had a convers- about- Jennifer, I had a conversation with my mother the other day, and actually and it was and a friend, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to because I think I am a smart lady, but what is a gram? What is a gram? Mm-hmm. It's just a unit of measure, just like uh, like anything else, like a pound or an ounce. It's just a it's a metric unit of measure. A dry so, measure. A dry measure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, you can measure grams in, in liquid measures too, but it's just it's the same thing as measuring in ounces or pounds. It's just the metric version. Grams you can measure in much smaller increments, and so um, it's easier to. It's basically easier. You get a more accurate measure if you measure in grams because you can measure it in smaller increments than ounces. So two grams, let's say just uh, what is two grams of fiber content? What What does that equal? One ounce, two ounce? I mean, um, me a- you know what I can't, gosh, oh, you're <laughs> pressing hey, like, way back in this. my culinary <laughs> education here. I think there, I, you know what, honestly, I can't remember how many, I can't remember the ounce to gram conversion. Okay. Um, I, I, I can't remember what it is. I'm sorry. Well, you and I both after the show will go look yeah, it up, Yeah, I'll have to go right? Google it. Yeah, it's yeah, something well, like 20, mm, I don't know, I'll have to look it up. But you're saying have two grams more, or, or two or higher. Two grams, yes. Of fiber. Per serving. Per remember. serving. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the nutrition labels are listed per serving. Um, that's another thing that people, I think, don't realize. They'll look at a nutrition label and say, oh, this only has three grams of fat in it. But they're not looking at the number of servings. It may have ten servings in there, you know, because that's how the some of the, these food companies get around saying that this is a, you know, a reduced fat product because it's got 10 servings, but there's 30 grams of fat if you eat the whole package. You know what you have to do, Jennifer? I think this is really important because I think your book is important and you have some wonderful recipes in the book. I want to mention that. But I think you need to also write another book or have something that really, just what you're talking about today, to really be specific Mm -hmm. so we know what we're looking for. Because you're right, they kind of try to fool you with those labels. And unless you're really familiar with it, you can just get sucked into just buying this, you know, Mm -hmm. can't you? The stuff that's not. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because you look at it, you say, oh, this only has, like I said, this only has. You know, three grams of fat, or it's only 100 calories, but that's per serving. If you eat the entire package, which a lot of people sit down and do, you know, you may be getting 10 times that amount. And so it's really important to look at that number of servings because that's how they list out the nutrition. And, you know, another thing, too, I think people make the mistake of thinking, okay, this book says it's good carbs or it's healthy carbs. That means I can eat as much as I want, and that's not the case. It's just it's the same thing where you have to eat everything in moderation based on your nutrition plan, whatever your plan is, if you've worked with a dietitian or a diabetes educator or even just yourself saying you're you know, you're going to eat fifteen hundred calories a day or this many grams of carb per day, you know, you have to you have to monitor that. I think remember back in the nineties when all the fat free products came out and all these people were eating bags and bags of fat free cookies and still gaining weight. Yes, and <laughs> yeah, it's you're so right. Portion control is still right. very important because you, you right. know, your stomach gets bigger and bigger, and then you right. eat more and more, even if it is stuff that's supposedly right. dietetic. Because it still has calories in it. You know, I mean, you have to look at everything. It's not just 
it's just like anything else. It's balance. You have to look at balancing your calories, your carbohydrates, your grams of protein, your grams of fat. It's not just saying, I'm going to eat a fat-free diet because you need fat in your system. And you can't say, I'm going to eat a no-carb diet because you need carbs, especially if you have diabetes, you need carbs. So you need it all. And I, you mentioned cal- you keep talking about calories, you know, and I think that's – I'm from the calorie counter mm-hmm. generation. And so I always thought, okay, I count my calories – and I'm in good stead, you know, if I have tw- I'm, I'm small, so if I have 1,200, 1,400 calories, mm-hmm. calories a day, that's good. Not enough. I mean, that's not, you can't just count the calories. And this, of course, is what the premise of this whole book is, is mm-hmm. the Healthy Carb Diabetes Cookbook. And so it's really important. It's not just the calories, it's the content of what right. you're eating. And you want to have a balance. I mean, you want to be healthy, so you, you want to be balanced in that. It's just like anything else. Too much of anything is never a good thing. Or too little, you know. It, it, it's it's it, if people can just wrap their brains around the balancing, they're going to feel better. Their blood sugars will remain normal, and they'll have more energy. I know me personally, I could never do the no carb diet. I would claw somebody's eyes out because <laughs> I because <laughs> carbs. Do that. Well, they, I mean, then they you know they have they have proven that carbohydrates affect serotonin in your brain and make you feel happier. Yeah. <laughs> That's why people get addicted to carbs and they eat so many of them. But it's that balance, and it just sort of balances your whole system out. And it's just making sure that you're really, you know, watching and sticking to your plan. Yeah. Jennifer, we have to say goodbye, but the, the Chef Jennifer Bucko. <laughs> and the book is The Healthy Carb Diabetes Cookbook. Can we buy it online, bookstores everywhere? Mm-hmm. You can buy it in bookstores, online bookstores, or the American Diabetes Association website at diabetes.org. Terrific. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Have a great day and have a healthy day. That's, Thanks. that's the you most too. important thing. Yeah. You're <laughs> listening to Catherine Sox. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone, Voice America Women's Network. Don't go away. We will be back in a minute. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celestia Renese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? If you did the unexpected? Would you feel scared? Proud? Relieved? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Or assisting an entrepreneur in Ukraine to launch her small business? Or creating a support group in Malawi for children orphaned by AIDS? What if you established your own path? One that others might follow? Would you rather make your own way? Or spend your life saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or go to peacecorps.gov. 
We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back to The Catherine Zox Show. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. I am your social worker with the microphone, and yes, you are listening to Voice America Women's Network. That's 866-472-5787. And uh, joining me this morning, we have Jim Thompson, founder of Positive Coaching Alliance, Olympic hopeful or recreational player. Sports programs help parents and coaches enhance a child's sports experience. Now, we're going to talk to Jim uh, about in our win-at-all-cost culture, it's easy to lose sight of the bigger picture, the role of sports can play in your child's life, says Jim Thompson. We have him right here, founder and executive director of Positive Coaching Alliance, an organization that has provided workshops to more than 300,000 youth, sports leaders, coaches, parents, and athletes. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Jim. Catherine, my pleasure. Oh, I, what you're doing is, I, you know, I'm so excited to have you on the show because I have three boys grown up in their 20s, but one who was uh, the captain of the swim team in high school. And I'm just going to prep, and I'm going to let you do the talking, but he always said to me that, and going to states and winning all, you know, I mean, that swimming was the I, one of the main things in his life that really has propelled him to be successful in what he does because all of those things that you do to, to swimming and the stuff that you talk about, uh, coaching values, good character, all of that really comes to play when you get out into the real world. Yeah, if you think about where kids learn life lessons and develop their character, um, you know, you can teach character in the classroom, but it's kind of abstract and, and uh, artificial when a kid is in a pool or on the basketball court or the football field or the soccer field, um, well, it's not abstract at all. You've got to make a decision. Um, you then have, if you have the right kind of coach, what we call a responsible coach, and responsible sports parents backing you up, then you have an opportunity to reflect on what you did and, and uh, learn from it. And, you know, you ask many Jim, adults. What, uh, well, the, big, the question is, what is a responsible coach? Because, you know, I see a lot of these parents out there, we have a big our town is a big soccer town, and I'm not so sure that they're so responsible, either the coach or the parents, <laughs> putting these ter- tremendous pressure on the kids to win at all costs, and that's not what you're talking about. No, I mean, that's why I started Positive Coaching Alliance out of Stanford University about 10 years ago, and why I was really excited about Liberty Mutual partnering with us on this ResponsibleSports.com website. Uh, I think a responsible coach is someone who sees him or herself as a character educator yes they're trying to win that is a goal of sports kids need to learn how to compete in a healthy way but the second more important part of sports is what kids take away from it phil jackson who is our national spokesperson for positive coaching alliance and actually doc rivers so uh, is also on our our national advisory board phil has this great saying he said not only is there more to life than basketball there's more to basketball than basketball if all kids are getting out of sports is that sport, then we're missing a huge opportunity. Yeah, so you could generalize is what you're saying to you know, from the sport, whatever it is, basketball, swimming, it doesn't really matter, to other areas of your life. Is, is, and I guess that's the premise of the whole thing. Also, though, Jim, the other, you know, we're talking about um, – you know, not winning at all costs. Right. But the other side is, and I wanted to ask you about this, because sometimes I see 
uh, especially with the, with the, the elementary school kids, that everybody wins. And I don't think that's a good thing either. They don't teach kids competition. That's sort of the other end of the, the, the spectrum. Like, you know, it, you know, they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so everybody gets a prize, everybody wins the game. Well, that's not good either. That doesn't teach them how to be competitive, the kids. Right. One of, one of the key ideas of, of uh, being a responsible, sport, uh, responsible coach is that every kid has what we call an emotional tank. When that emotional tank is drained, they're not going to be able to perform very well. When their emotional tank is filled, they not only perform better, they are open to criticism. And I think the, what we want is coaches who understand the concept of the emotional tank, who fill a kid's emotional tank with, with praise and uh, positive reinforcement. And then when they have to have a hard conversation with that kid, um, that kid is able to hear uh, the criticism because their tank is filled. They know their coach is really, really cares about them. They're not uh, yelling them all, about all the time. One other thing about the everybody winning all the time, I think it's an age level thing. When kids start sports, five, six, seven <clears throat> years old, uh, they're not into it for the competition. They're into it for fun and the activity. And so at that level, I don't think it really is important to keep score. As a kid gets older, eight, nine, ten, then they begin to compare themselves with other kids and the learning how to compete becomes very important. So it doesn't bother me at the five, six, seven age level that everybody gets a trophy. I think it's a waste of money for the trophies, but it doesn't bother me. What we want to do is keep kids in sports, uh, have them have fun at that early age, so as they get a little older, they start to learn the character lessons. Well, I was a bad mom as I'm listening to you now. I have to go. <laughs> I should because I'm one of those mothers who would even even I I, don't, I play well. I, checkers with my kids at five and. If I never let them win, <laughs> I was always I had to beat them. I mean, it, which is, I guess, not a good thing. But anyway, all right. So well, well let, me, let me let me address that because I, at responsiblesports.com, there's a resource guide for online for parents and one for coaches. And one of the key ideas there is a, a just right challenge. Uh, some really interesting research shows that when kids are given a challenge that's just beyond their reach, um, they can't do it easily. They get excited and they want to do it. Uh, and think about it, if, if you're playing checkers with your mom or dad and they beat you all the time and you have no hope of beating them, that's not a just right challenge. It also is a case that if they give in and let you win every time, that's not a just right challenge. So one way to think about it, and I was not the greatest sports dad myself, so uh, let's not get into past recriminations <laughs> right. here. But if, if you, when you're playing table tennis with your kid or checkers or whatever, you know, sometimes letting them win uh, making them work for it, but letting them win actually is a just right challenge. And they say, wow, you know, I, I never thought I could beat my dad at table tennis, um, but I, I beat him this time. All right. So there is that, uh, you're, and what you're talking about is balance, right? I mean, there, yeah, give them a, make them feel good about, help them to feel good about themselves, which is obviously the goal, feel, good feelings of self-esteem, but at the same time feel like they are being challenged. So there is that balance. And and one of the things I think from this you know, responsible um, responsible sports, there has doesn't there like when the kids get in school, for instance, Jim, a, a real good rapport between the, the the children, the coaches, and the parents. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. You bet. Think about um, if if a kid comes home from school and they're sitting around the dinner table, and the dad says. Um, why does your your uh, why does your math teacher teach fractions that way? That's really not a good way of teaching fractions. What does that do to the kid's motivation to learn math? It it undercuts it. Now most parents don't worry about how kids are, are taught math, 
But that happens a lot where a kid comes home and sitting around the table and the dad says, why aren't you playing first base? You're a much better first baseman than Billy. What's wrong with your coach? <clears throat> so part of the ResponsibleSports.com website is uh, how does a parent work with the coach to create a partnership so that the parent is reinforcing what the coach is doing and the coach is bringing the parent in uh, on it. So they're working together so the kid can have a great experience. Jim, what if you have a not a bad coach? I mean, and, and I, we had a perfect example of this in our high school. We had a fantastic coach for 20 years, and uh, then he left to – he had, take care of his own children, and we got a new coach who really didn't live up to, in any way, wasn't able to accomplish what this, the, you know, the original coach. How do you handle that if you know the coach isn't doing well or isn't doing what he should do? As a parent, what do you do? Because that does happen. Well, I know many, many coaches, including Phil Jackson, would say that he was not the most positive guy when he first started coaching. Um, <laughs> Coaching is really difficult, and when people start out, they don't necessarily uh, understand what it means. Um, again, at, on ResponsibleSports.com, the parent guide, uh, it talks about some of the, the, the tips for developing a good relationship with your kid's coach. One is, as soon as you know who the coach is, reach out to that person and say, boy, you know, Billy is really excited about playing this year. I I'm, I'm, uh, really appreciate your commitment to doing this, because most of the time when coaches first hear from parents, it's when there's a problem. And so you want to develop a relationship first. Now, that's assuming that the coach is uh, generally a good guy and he needs a little work. <clears throat> um, and then later you can go to him and say, you know, Billy's not as excited about going to practice as he used to be. Um, you know, can we talk about how, how I can help him and how we can help him get enthusiastic again? But if you've got a coach who's really not a good guy, who's, not, um, who's really harming the kids, then that, that's a whole other thing, and I think every coach, uh, it, it, sometimes it's hard to find this person, but every coach has a boss. If it's a high school coach, they have an athletic director. If it's a youth coach or somebody on the board, and uh, you might want to talk about, uh, think about whether you talk to the coach first or whether you go to the board member first, but um, coaches don't change in, if, uh, if they think everything is fine, and so when there is a problem, talking to the coach about it, and then if that doesn't work, going to that, their supervisor. All right, so you have to speak up, and you just have to be aware as a parent. Uh, you know, I, I, you know I, it is what you're saying. And, yeah, and uh, let, me, let me add one more thing. And that's most often, parents complain to coaches about playing time and their kids not playing in the right position. And I encourage parents to never talk about playing time, never talk about the position, because that's just not a good conversation to have. Now, if the league has... Guaranteed, guaranteed playing time rules and the coach is violating it, that's a different thing. But you want to talk about to the coach in a very, very non-threatening way, and most often when, when parents get upset with coaches, they don't do what we suggest, which is observe a cooling-off period. Take, it, take overnight. Don't, don't call up the coach when you're really steamed off. Think about it. Write down what you want to say, what your goal is. If your goal is just a vent, then you shouldn't talk to that coach. Um, and, again, the, uh, on ResponsibleSports.com, there's a lot of good tools for, for how parents can, can relate to coaches in a positive way. Yeah, a great website, is, uh, and I, yeah, ResponsibleSports.com. A couple more minutes left. Tell us about this uh, Liberty Mutual Responsible Sports Grants. What's that all about? Can you tell us about that in two minutes? Yeah, or? it's really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, many, many programs around the country, teams and leagues and schools, don't have enough money to do everything they want to do with sports. And uh, Liberty Mutual really wants people to go through the, the, the responsible sports 
coach's guide and parent's guide because there's so many good ideas there. And so as an incentive, if you go through the, the one of those guides and answer the quiz at the end, and uh, the quiz isn't that hard, and you can, you can, you can do it, um, then you get a chance at the end of that to, to vote for your team, your kid's team, or your kid's league. And the teams and the, or leagues that get the most votes over time, uh, I think that it's uh, August 31st is the deadline for it, um, they will, they, they're eligible for a $2,500 grant. Fantastic. Okay, so you can go online for that. And yeah, it's a, it's a double because they're, they're getting some, uh, everybody will get some really good tools for working with their, their child, and at the same time they qualify their, um, their team to, uh, for this grant. Terrific. Jim Thompson, so much, thank you so much for being on the show. Founder and Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance. Go to the website, responsiblesports.com. Have a yeah, great thank day. You. Thanks, Jim. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to Voice America Women's Network. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Finally, radio that was made just for you. Voice America Women's Radio Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Four years old son, ready for the big leagues. Put your bat on, buddy. There you go, helmet. Okay, that's right. Your thigh guards. Now, don't forget your mouth guard. You don't want to be losing teeth in your first game. Well, they're baby teeth, but yeah, put it in a... Daddy! Don't let them worry you. They may be over 200 pounds and kind of mean looking, but you're ready for them. Just run through them. Here's the ball. Run! Daddy? Don't look at me. Run with it. Go, boy. Run! But I could get hurt. No pain, no gain. Now run! <laughs> You wouldn't treat your child like an adult, so why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. Ah, you should have straight armed them. For more information, go to boosterseat.gov. This message brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Department of Transportation. Talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back to the Catherine Zox Show, Voice America Women's Network, and I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Thanks for joining us in this half hour. We have Steve 
And I'm saying it's Busalachi, Busalachi. He's going to correct me, but first I have to do my intro. The former Wisconsin public radio reporter, and he has a new book, White Coat Wisdom, which has been endorsed by former Surgeon General C. Everett Koop, if you all remember Surgeon General C. Everett Koop. Uh, the book is an oral history of extraordinary physicians that he has come to know. That's uh, Steve, through his 25 years in medical journalism. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Steve. Well, it's a pleasure, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Basalachi, Busalichi? You were close the first time. It's Buzalaki, <laughs> like booze under lock and key, Buzalaki. Buzalaki. And, okay, okay. Bu- Steve Buzalaki, and you are also uh, head of your own company, which is Steve Buzalaki Communications, and you can That's go right. to that website too, right? That's correct. Okay, so how did you get, this is very cool because, uh, you know, this is a book about doctors and you got C. Everett Koop uh, to endorse the book, which is very cool and very impressive, so it's got to be a really good book. And if you go on the website, I think there's a picture of you with C. Everett Koop. Yeah, I had the opportunity to meet him in Chicago just last month. and It was really incredible because Dr. Koop is still sharp. He's 92 years old, and he is so incredible. He gave us speech, and it was a beautiful speech. I had a nice conversation with him. I had a chance to personally thank him for endorsing the book. So it's really fun to meet him. It's amazing. I didn't realize he was in his 90s. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, he's one of those He's one of those gentlemen, you know, they always tell you keep using your brain and then you won't lose it. Well, he's, he's one of those, he's a perfect example of that. He sure is, and so are the doctors in this book. These people are lifelong learners. And I've got to tell you, Catherine, if there's one theme that sort of runs through the entire book, it's that love for education. These people just never stop. They're very persistent in, you know, achieving their goals. And even once they, they achieve them in terms of medical school or doing well in their practice, they're constantly updating their skills really into education. Yeah. And when you, you know, what's amazing to me is, and, and, and you're so right, not only are they good doctors and they're always improving their education, but very often you'll see these doctors, they're also artists, they're also musicians, they're sort of multi, you know, they accomplish kind of renaissance kinds of, of individuals. But uh, tell us about the book, though. Okay, you're, you're talking about it. Explain it to us. What, you know, wh- who did you choose and why did you choose the doctors that you chose to be in the book? Great question. I used to be a news reporter for Wisconsin Public Radio, as you mentioned, and my beat area was medicine. So I frequently was interviewing doctors about this, that, or the other thing. And I was always really pretty impressed with these people because they could communicate complex information in a way that was understandable to a layperson and do it really quite eloquently. Secondly, they had all these great stories. And as a radio reporter, I was always looking for good stories, and they had plenty of great stories. So over the years, I started working for the Wisconsin Medical Society as well, so I got to really know these people more as friends than, you know, like sort of the arm's length you have to have as a reporter. So I just started thinking about all the doctors that I knew, and I thought, you know, this would be a great book because each of these people has to have a story. And they do. Wow. So the way I selected them were based on who's a really good speaker and likes to, likes to talk publicly, isn't shy about it. So I sort of made a list. And, and then the way I sort of chose them was based on their interest area or their particular specialty. Like one of my docs, for instance, is really into men's health. He says, and he has the evidence for it, that guys are dying prematurely just because we, of self, self-neglect. We don't go to the doctor like women do. And the reason men do go to the doctor is because their wives or their girlfriends finally push them to go. 
And, Steve, when they go to the doctor and they're sitting there, if you can get them there, they don't talk either. And very often the their, their partner or their spouse or their mother or whomever is the one who speaks for them, even when they're sitting in front of the doctor and, uh, and in, actually in the office. Your gender has us on the communication. I don't think there's any question about yeah, it. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that's going to change, Steve. How many... Well, well, let me ask you this. We're kind of maybe I don't know if this is digressing or not. How many doctors, male, female, or was it are in the book? I mean, well, the, it's a yeah. total of thirty-seven physicians are represented, and I think it's six women. Now you have to think about it. The doctors in my book tend to be leaders of medicine. These aren't just like regular. These are people who've been president of national societies or president of state societies, but they've taken on those roles. And I would say there's a good mix of ages, but I bet half to two-thirds of them are probably over 50, you know, and in that generation, there just weren't that many female docs. Today, yeah. it's changed completely. I think it's a majority of women are in medical school. Yeah, I think today, yeah, I think there's more. I think there's more than 50% of the women in, more than 50% of the students in medical school are women. It's something like 55%. You know, once right. you, you know what? Once you let us in, that's the end. That's it, right? <laughs> We're going to take over. I, I, <laughs> this is Voice America Women's Network, Steve. All right. So why don't we focus on, because these six women, as you say, have to be pretty outstanding to have an, to even have become physicians in their time if they are over 50. Absolutely. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. There's one doctor I wanted to feature because she went all the way up to the Miss America contest. Now, we don't normally associate, you know, achievement and, you know, bright people with Miss America, at least I didn't, beauty pageants. <laughs> but here, this gal has it all, you know, beauty and the brains. So why would someone, you know, with, with really incredible intellectual ability pursue this? And she said, you know, this is one of the best scholarship opportunities out there. And she thought it was just a great opportunity, and she used that opportunity to discuss organ donation. She lost her dad when he was only 45 years old to a liver disease. Not liver, it was a kidney disease. He, he needed a new kidney. He died on the waiting list. And you know why? He, he was attending one of her beauty pageants things and missed his call. Unbelievable. So she goes through this. In, the in guilt that she must be associated with that, I mean, it would seem to me that she must have been just tormented by that. Her dad was at the at the beauty contest and, yeah. and missed, was before cell phones. Exactly. Right. It was. And she didn't even find out. Her dad wouldn't tell her he missed the call. So she found out about this after he passed away. So that's when she dedicated herself to continuing on in this contest and went all the way to Miss America and made it to number two. She, she was one slot away from being named Miss America, but all the way through all her presentations, she focused on organ donation, and that's a lot of what she speaks about in this chapter, but also sort of the, the dichotomy of being a beauty queen and a doctor and the razzing that she took, and so that was fun. Um, another physician was only the second woman in 160 years to become president of the Wisconsin Medical Society. But that wasn't why I featured her. She did something really extraordinary. She retires from medicine after 30 years in pediatrics and re-enrolls in medical school. It went through for four years, took all the classes, so she could mentor the new students. That's that's amazing because sometimes I've heard of the you know sometimes doctors will be in one specialty decide to change specialties and then will go back and do a residency in another <laughs> specialty but this going back to medical school and I and medical school has changed 
obviously. Yeah. yeah. So she went back for four more years so that she could mentor. And what did she go back in? The same discipline or in something else? Well, when you go to medical school, everyone sort of goes through the same rotations. You know, they, yeah. you know, so it's the general medical school curriculum. And then after that, you know, they would specialize. They would take rotations. So she didn't do that, but she took all the regular classes with the young students and acted as their mentor as they're going through this process. So in her chapter, she talks about what it was like now as compared to 30 years ago. And obviously, like, the Internet has changed everything, where these students, you know, record the, the lectures, they watch them again, they communicate and they send each other, um, you know, missives, and they have these blogs where they discuss the lectures. She said everything is more microscopic today. There's just so much more information that today's doctors have to know compared to what, what they did. There just wasn't that much known 30 years ago compared to today. Oh, that yeah, it is. That is amazing. And I'm thinking, I, I I don't know if you've been to my website, Steve, but I've had a lot of contact with doctors at Albany Medical College in their what they call their clinical competency program, where we train doctors or train medical students how to communicate with their patients. Um, are you familiar with that program? I am, and it's it's wonderful that you are involved because there's a tremendous need for it. In White Coat Wisdom, there's also a chapter by the president of an association of healthcare communicators, and he talks about the deficiencies that many physicians have in terms of talking with their patients where they interrogate their patients instead of having a good conversation with them, make them feel comfortable, make them open up and tell them what the problem is because if patients don't tell them, they may not figure out what's going on. Yeah, and I think but one of the problems is, and, and maybe you found that when you were interviewing some of these physicians, I don't know if this came up, but, you know, there can be some really good doctors, but they have really lousy personalities, and they're never going to be able perhaps to communicate well with their patients, but on the other hand, they're wonderful diagnosticians or they're great surgeons uh, or whatever, you know, do really well in whatever their specialty is, but they're not great communicators. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Medicine is no different than any other you know, discipline. You have great doctors and you have lousy doctors. You have good communicators. You have bad communicators. It's it's really no different. I think that there uh, you can say a few things about doctors generally. They tend to be very bright, very focused. But you know, the, my, the doctor that's really good for me may not be good for you. And I think patients have to take that responsibility to to really sort of figure out well, who's the best doctor for me? Is this is this guy or gal really doing the job for me? Yeah, I think you're right, and I think today there are a lot more choices in doctors and uh, medical care, medical facilities. I mean, they, this is a whole other topic, but I mean, they see. I mean, some of them are set up as businesses, and corp, and so you go in as a as a, somebody who is a shop, as a patient, you are more, more like a consumer, and um, make sure, as you say, you know, you can be very clear about whether this doctor or this practice is for you, and if it's not, you can go to somebody else. Exactly. I mean, it's it's really up to the patients that no one is requiring them to go see somebody. And if, if it's not working out, it's incumbent on, on the patient to look for someone better. But, Steve, I talked to somebody at, uh, at a, a party and a physician who said he hates to be referred to as a health care provider. Uh, you know, that new label, I'm a health care provider, I'm a physician. I see myself as a physician, as somebody who's gone to four years of medical school, not simply a health care pr- provider, and, and really didn't feel comfortable with that kind of a label. Right. I've heard that, too. In fact, in Wisconsin, they actually have that phrase outlawed in terms of communication in the Wisconsin Medical Society. Anyone writing memos or any, any kind of out, out, uh, you know, any kind of communication outside the organization, they, they are only to refer to 
physicians as physicians or doctors and not as healthcare providers. It's just one of those words that has cropped up to, you know, have a generalized term for all the people that are involved in healthcare, and it's way more than physicians. Yeah, it is. Now, we've discussed two of these, the two of the physicians. You said there are six women, six women that you have that are in your book out of the mm-hmm. 37. Mm-hmm. Um, so, now, tell us about another one. we got about a couple more minutes to break, then we'll come back and, and we'll go through some of you know, the other ones. And we don't have to just eliminate the men, even okay. though this is <laughs> sure, America Women's Network. Okay, so, yeah. One Let's of the talk other about um, Dr. Kay Hegestad. She's a family physician who practices in Madison, and she's the only woman doc who had anything particularly like interesting or negative to say about like medical school from a sexism standpoint. I really thought the women docs were going to have something to really complain about, and they didn't. They they were they just said they they were treated very well. But here's here's the exception. Dr. Hegestad said when she was in medical school in the 1960s, it was like during the Vietnam War era. One of the professors in an anatomy class pulled out a big centerfold from Playboy and used that in the lecture to teach anatomy. That's and a can you imagine? No, I can't. Well, I can imagine it in the '60s, but you know, fast forward, try to do that today. Uh, <laughs> it's unfathomable. And he'd be taking his life into his hands if he did that today at any one of these medical and in the classroom, right? Exactly. And, and you also, I think you've met with the three women. Well, no, organ donate. Donation transplant is a different thing, but women traditionally only, even when they started to go into medicine, only went into things like OBGYN, pediatrics, dermatology, right. That's right. Uh, and uh, you'd never, you know, very seldom see a woman, you know, a neurosurgeon or, you know, uh, you yeah. know, different those kinds of specialties. So that's really changed too over the that years. Has. One of the one of the women physicians in, in my book, White Cold Wisdom, is a surgeon. And she talks about that. Now, surgery really is pretty much um, a male-dominated specialty, though Miss America, Dr. Tina Sauerhammer, the gal we talked about earlier, she also is She's training to be a surgeon. That's what she Got to take a quick break now. We'll be back. And uh, we're talking to Steve Busalaki, uh, Steve Busalaki Communications, and he is author of White Coat Wisdom, Voice America Women's Network. I'm Catherine Zoss, your social worker with a microphone. Don't go away. We will be back very shortly. Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Are the days passing by faster than you can believe? Do your kids, job, pets, family, errands, and life demands leave no time left for you? Listen to Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum each week. You can have it all, balance it, and truly enjoy your life. Be ready to have fun, laugh, and learn from celebrities and everyday heroes. We don't need an entire life overhaul, just a little bit of tweaking for our lives to be what we want. Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum, every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Women's Network. Your life is waiting for you. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice. What if something happens? Will you come get me? Should I stay where I am and wait for you? Or go to Grandma's house since it's closer? Should I only pick a place for me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? How do we keep in touch with each other if the phones don't work? Should I be worried how we all get home? 
and some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. Radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zoff Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back to the Catherine Sox Show. I'm Catherine Sox. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning, Voice America Women's Network. You can call us at 866-472-5787. I'm your social worker with a microphone talking to Steve Busalaki of Steve Busalaki Communications. And you can go to his website, whitecoatwisdom.com. He's the author of the new book, White Coat Wisdom. And if you go to the website, Steve, there are excerpts from the book, there's audio, there's reviews, all good reviews, of course. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to put bad ones up on our own website, but, uh, <laughs> Steve, um, audio, podcasts, you can listen to these interviews. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I just started this on the 2nd of June, so every week on Monday we will release the audio from each chapter. Now, remember, there are 37 chapters, so we're going to have 37 weeks There'll be excerpts. Um, they range from 10 minutes to 20 minutes. And as you mentioned earlier, these people have so many talents. One of the docs is a musician. He's a surgeon, and he's also a pianist and a composer. So during his interview, I'm able to intersperse his music as he's talking about why he wrote something, and he, it's all medically related, you know, inspired by a patient. And it is so cool with the technology, Catherine, what we can do. I'm a radio guy, and this is a book for radio listeners. I never could have done this without the interviewing skills and the, the editing skills. So it's perfect for podcasting. Yeah, it is great for podcasting. Now, Steve, what can we get out of it? We go, we listen to the podcast, we read the book. What do you want the listeners or the readers to get out of, of, of White Coat Wisdom? You know, there are so many lessons, but one, one of the major lessons in this book is that we have to be persistent in life. There's a, a surgeon who really exemplifies that beautifully. He's a transplant surgeon, and he talks about how he always wanted to be an engineer. Well, guess what? He flunked out of engineering school. He wasn't cut out to be an engineer, so he went to medical school and was fabulously successful and has saved the lives of more than 1,400 people through liver transplants. And I thought it was really refreshing to talk to people who were extremely successful in life and saying, you know, I was a failure once. And that has come through many times in this book. So the lesson is, if you fail at one thing, doesn't mean you won't be spectacularly successful in something else. So, in other words, each one of these physicians obviously has something very different to offer. I mean, the thing I keep, it, the creativity, being creative about how they make their choices. Um, and as you say, if you're a failure, it's not like it's over. You, you can't be an, okay, you can't be an engineer, but you can be a doctor. That's right. I mean, it's, it's all about persistence for these people. I mean, they, they talk about the road through medicine, and, and it's, it is a rocky, long road, even for very bright people. I mean, you really have to want this. And the thing is, the, the, the main theme throughout the whole book is service to others, you know, finding that passion in your life 
and then serving others, you know, through that passion. And that's what they do. But they're, they're rewarded handsomely for it, and they like their lifestyle. They don't make any bones about that. They do. But they all, I really didn't get the impression, at least in these interviews, that they were doing it because of the money. That wasn't, that wasn't the motivating force. They really were turned on by this patient-doctor relationship and how they could improve someone's life. It would seem to me, Steve, it would be too difficult just to do it just for the money. Just like you said, I mean, medical school is really tough, and you have to be focused, and you have to be directed, and you have to be, and you have to have some kind of a passion for it. You can't do it just for the money. Yeah, I don't Uh, think you can fake that either. Yeah, I don't think you can fake it either. Yeah, I agree with you. But were there any of these physicians who wanted to, you know, wanted, I mean, to give it up, like like there was a, stories where they were about to give it up or there was anybody in their lives who were mentored them or encouraged them to go on when they just wanted to throw in the towel? You know, unfortunately, it was almost from the other side, Catherine, where there were people who weren't encouraging them. Like one doctor who was was both a physician and a chiropractor, he started off as a chiropractor because he couldn't get into medical school. He just couldn't get in. He kept getting rejected. And his wife was... But actually, she ended up leaving him just because she didn't want to go through this whole thing. She said, you're doing great as a chiropractor. You're making a ton of money. You're rising in the profession. Why do you need to go to medical school? She couldn't understand it, and they ended up breaking up. He did go to medical school. He got through it. He loves what he does, and he talks about how this isn't a job. He said, this is a way of life. You don't live for yourself. You live for others is the quote that, that he used, and it's and, really powerful. And, Steve, did he get a new wife? He, he remarried. He did uh, through the internet, of course. <laughs> I said, a guy with your kind of, you know, he's telling me he's working seven to seven, six days a week, and has to be on call all the time. I said, well, how could you have a real life? And he said, well, real life is what you make of it. And he ended up finding his his new wife via the internet, you know, on these sites. And he said, we didn't waste a lot of time. We exchanged uh, <laughs> what our interests were, and you know. <laughs> well, I just interviewed a doctor a couple weeks ago, and she initially married, and this was a statistic. I don't know if you found this with the, with the physicians that you interviewed, but she, it, you know, the the students who got married in medical school, where they were both physicians, I guess, four out of five of them in her class got divorced because, as you're talking about, if you're working 24-7 as a physician and so is your partner, there really isn't any time to get together. So maybe the lesson is don't marry another doctor. You need to marry somebody else who's in another another kind of uh, line of doing something else. Because you know, Catherine, I've heard both sides of that. I've heard, because there are married physicians in the book, and, and they talk about that, and they said it was really nice to have a spouse who understood what I'm going through. I'm going to be late. I'm not going to be home for dinner. It's going to be two or three hours. No problem. I'll take care of it. That that is sort of it's kind of goes with the territory. So unless they have that sort of agreement um, with their spouse, yeah, there can be a lot of tension. One of the younger, because I, I tried to get a, a variety of people in White Coat Wisdom, like younger younger people in different generations. And one of the younger guys, he just got his degree last year, so he's brand new. He was saying that just having any kind of relationship was difficult because they just couldn't understand like how. Frequently, they had to be gone, and how how frequently, and how much they had to study, and it's just a constant burden. And and he said that was one of the reasons medical school students have such a strong bond because they go through this together, almost like boot camp. You know, I'm thinking about the different specialties. Of course, there is a difference, and you interviewed physicians from different specialties. We only have a couple minutes left, but I suppose if you want to kind of 
not have to work 24-7. You can be a radiologist. At least you can sort of organize your time better than if you're a pediatrician or an OBGYN or even a surgeon. Oh, yeah. And they describe why. Like a lot of the surgeons said, I like to fix things. I want to go in there, I want to fix it, and I want to be done, and I want to go to the next one. That's a surgeon's thing. (laughs) I don't want to be one of those internal medicine people who are, well, a little to the left, a little to the right, let's try this, let's try this. They don't like that. Surgeons don't like that. They like to cut. They want to go in there and fix it. So yeah, certain personalities are associated, and you'll see that if you go listen yeah. to the podcast, read the book, um, White Coat Wisdom, you'll see that certain personalities um, get uh, choose certain specialties in medicine, which doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Well, we, it's time. We have to say goodbye. This mm-hmm. went by very quickly, and, and I want to make sure that listeners do go to whitecoatwisdom.com. You can listen to the podcast of White Coat Wisdom, and you can also buy the book bookstores everywhere. Great having you on the show this morning, Steve. Well, thank you, Catherine. It was a real pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's always fun to talk to somebody who's also in radio because there's so much to talk about. It's very easy. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks, Steve. Okay. Steve Busalaki, Communications, whitecoatwisdom.com, and you can purchase his book at bookstores everywhere, amazon.com. And also online, if you want to hear the podcast of White Coat Wisdom, it's time to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, and you've been listening to Voice America, Voice America Women's Network. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.